Once upon a time, there was a great songwriter called Stephen Sondheim. He had many, many hit shows, among which were Sunday in the Park with George. I wish. Assassins. I wish. And the fairy tale musical of 1988, Into the Woods. I wish. All the characters in all the shows were very happy to be in a prestigious Sondheim musical, except for a few things. I wish. I wish the show was more melodic. I wish. I wish. I wish the show was not so bloody. I wish. I wish. I wish the lyrics weren't so wordy. I wish. You see, with Sondheim shows, people sometimes miss the point. They're supposed to listen and go into the words. 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 The metaphors, the synonyms, the perfect scan. Into the words. The detail and the tricky little phrases. Into the words. The what, the where, the when, the why, the plot began. Into the words. The work, the craft that garners all the praises. Into the words. Into the words. The music waits. Into the words. Hello and welcome to This Week on Broadway for Sunday, August 20th, 2023. My name is Matt Tamanini and joining me on today's broadcast are Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His latest book, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, is available on Amazon now. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Peter, how are you this morning? So far, so good. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He is the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. I've been listening to um, a lot of Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt this week, uh, as I'm sure we all have. And I, I just remembered... I remembered something very funny um, that Tom Jones had said at uh, at some event. I don't even remember what it was. Uh, aside from his talent, he really was could uh, could be an extremely funny person. And I remember uh, at the time, um, Naked Boys Singing, uh, that show had sort of just recently kind of become a phenomenon uh, and, and, you know, had started a really long run and Tom got up and said something like, he said, well, I have an idea for a show called naked old men singing. He said, but I, I just, I just don't think we're going to get that many bookings. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. So uh, unfortunately he never got to do that show. <laughs> uh, when the, when the Fantastics was playing its 16,000th performance, <laughs> I was I was invited, and uh, indeed, uh, my friend Aubrey Burke, who is the um, head of the department, uh, the chair at Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, I was coming to town, and he said, "I'm going to be there Tuesday." I said, "Ah, ah, Aubrey, have you ever seen the Fantastics at the Sullivan Street Playhouse?" He said, "No," but I said, "No, Aubrey, really, you know you." You've got to be there. It's a specific <laughs> thing. You know, if they had moved to another theater, it wouldn't mean anything. But to be there exactly where Jerry Orbach walked across that mm -hmm. state, you, know, you really have to see it there. This is history. So anyway, we're having dinner beforehand on Bleecker Street. And I said, um, how familiar are you with Fantastic? He said, I've directed it eight times. And I thought, <laughs> all right, he doesn't want to go. Oh, this is going to be terrible. So anyway, you, you may recall that the uh, configuration was like um, a, a U shape. And we were in the first row 
right at the top of the U. Um, so in uh, there we were. And during the first act, um, you may recall that the actors, when they weren't on stage, would go behind the piano and sit in the piano bench with their faces against the wall. And Aubrey said to me at one point, the girl's father is picking his nose. You know, and I thought, all right, we got to get out of here at intermission. <laughs> so at intermission, we it's December. We deep in December, we have our coats on and we're leaving. And there's Tom Jones who says, Peter. Oh, it's so good. You know, we can't get anybody to come see this show anymore. It means so much to me that you came right here and now. And I uh, and there we are with our coats on. I said, yeah, yeah, we're just we're just going out for a cigarette. I don't smoke. Aubrey doesn't smoke. But I mean, we, you know, I was so embarrassed, you know, and, and and Aubrey said to me, it was worth it to see the expression on your face when you saw him and he saw you uh, to to see the second act of the show. All right. May 3rd was their anniversary. The following May 3rd. They're going to have a party, so on and so forth. My friend Paul Roberts from Boston comes to town. I told him the exact story I just told you. We go to see the show. Um, we're in the same seats, ironically enough. And midway through the first act, Paul says to me, the girl's father is picking his nose. I guess he used that point every night to do that. I mean, it's so bizarre. Anyway, that's my Tom Jones story. Did you did you re-enter when Tom caught you leaving? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh okay. yeah. We had to. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, um, I'm glad that I was here to witness that story being told. I, I am not James Marino. Obviously, he had some travel issues, flight delays, so he asked me to jump in. So I'm happy to be here. Uh, Peter, as you said before the uh, recording started, it's quiet out there in those uh, theatrical streets in New York City right now. But you it both is. saw some shows. Peter in New York. Michael, you went down to Washington, D.C. to see some stuff. But let's go ahead and start, Peter, with the show that you saw recently i saw when i was in town a week or so ago this is the uncle vanya production that is being done in a loft down i think right around union square it is uh directed by jack serio and has a fantastic cast in it which i'll let you talk about uh it's in a 90 seat venue what what were your thoughts on this uber intimate uncle vanya um, I thought it was terrific, and um, the only <laughs> issue I have with it uh, is the fact that because it's two and a half hours, sitting on those hardback chairs was not easy. And I always like to point out whenever I talk about any show whatsoever that indeed um, <laughs> the where you're sitting and how you're sitting uh, can be a real problem. So um, that said... Um, it's amazing to see David Cromer, who we know is a director who did that phenomenal Our Town uh, that made us all appreciate Bacon, despite what it can do to us, uh, <laughs> to see him play Uncle Vanya. And there he is. Uncle Vanya is a person who's been working for a professor, wonderfully played by Thomas J. Ryan. Um, Bill Irwin did it in an earlier iteration, but here's Thomas J. Ryan, mm -hmm. who you may know uh, from The Temperamentals and many other shows. Mm -hmm. Um <clears throat> So he's working with the professor, and um, indeed, he feels his life is over. Now, he mentions he's 47, which may not sound so, so old, but you have to remember that Uncle Vanya, after all, it was first published in 1898 and uh, produced the following year. So life expectancy was different then. So he really does feel like he's facing the end of his life, and he feels like he's wasted it. Uh, this may seem like to be a common theme <clears throat> in um, in Chekhov. Indeed, uh, it certainly is. And... Uncle Vanya really does seem to have uh, so many elements of the other plays um, 
that are arguably uh, better known, um, Cherry Orchard, uh, Three Sisters, and Seagull. So um, I, I will say of the four plays, it's the one that um, I like least, but that doesn't mean I don't like it. I'm, I'm just much more moved by the other ones. But um, but watching this play was really, this production was really something, uh, especially too because um, of Marin Island, who, uh, who plays Sonia. Now, this was... Um, the professor, Thomas J. Ryan's uh, daughter by his first wife, uh, who has since died, and he's since married a younger woman, um, who was wonderfully played, wonderfully played by Julia Chan. Uh, terrific performance. They're all great. But anyway, um, the problems of being the daughter, who's essentially a, a similar age to uh, the wife, um, not unlike um, <laughs> the situation that Henrik endures in Little Night Music with Anne, uh, different sexes, I'll grant you, but nevertheless, uh, the same type of situation um, turns out to be a, a good deal of conflict as these people try to get along and have issues and try to reconcile. And maybe they that reconciliation is only for the moment, or maybe it's uh, for the long term, who knows. But um, the real issue doesn't come up until late in the play, which is indeed is the fact that the professor has decided that, uh, or at least talks about selling uh, the estate. And of course, Vanya, that's what sets Vanya off, um, saying, what's going to happen to me? You know, I've worked for you so long. So I in a strange way, <laughs> this show um, says something that a lot of people tell you. Start your own business. Don't work for somebody else. You'll never get rich <laughs> if you if you work for somebody else. So, um, Adele, Chekhov always talked about the fact that, that his plays were comedies. And uh, you can look at these plays as not comedies because they don't seem to have many belly laughs in them. Though I will say the audience laughed tremendously at many situations. Maybe they knew that Chekhov uh, claimed these were comedies. But, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe, Chekhov is the father of black comedy. Comedy. All right. Mm -hmm. It's not really black comedy. Maybe it's gray comedy, which sort of suggests old age, which isn't inappropriate here. But but mm -hmm. nevertheless, um, it did occur to me for the first time that given that he always insisted his plays were comedies and um, it would, they'll never be confused with Neil Simon plays. Uh, maybe he's the one who really started the ball rolling in black comedy. Uh, anyway, just a thought. Um, Uncle Vanya, is, as Matt will tell you, is done in a very small space. There aren't many seats available, but uh, nevertheless, if you can snag one and you want to see a very fine production of this play, perhaps the finest one I've ever seen, though I will admit the first time I saw it was in Dusseldorf when I <laughs> just went, I didn't understand German. All right, I second acted. Fine. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 I could tell it was a good production uh, there in Dusseldorf. But um, anyway, if you, if you can get a ticket and you want to see Uncle Vanya, this is the time to do it. Yeah, it really was a tremendous uh, per production. And you mentioned uh, David Cromer, obviously, Marin Ireland, Julia Chan, and, and I would be remiss without talking about Will Brill, who plays the doctor, who I thought was incredibly effective. He 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 had that rare quality where I, th I think, I mean, it has to be part of the direction of the show where I could never tell if he was actually struggling to come up with the words that were 
written on his script or if he was actually as the character struggling for words at the time. It was so authentic and naturalistic that uh, it was really uh, engrossing for me. Um, I also had an interview with David Cromer and Julia Chan, who which ran in the podcast feed earlier this week, if you want to hear more uh, about the production. But I second everything Peter said, really, really a spectacular production. Uh, let me also add, based on what you just said, that's the yeah. wonderful thing about theater, that yeah. we uh, we don't know if uh, there's a mumbling or a grasping for words, a, a, a problem. With, with film, we know exactly what they wanted. There it is. But um, in theater, you're never sure. On a given night, is the, mm. is the actor having a problem? Uh, what's going on? So uh, it's one of the marvelous things about theater. Absolutely. Michael, let's head down or up, depending on where you're at, uh, up for me, uh, to Washington, D.C. You saw a, a couple musicals. And let's start with one that I's, I've heard quite a bit about. There's a bunch of clips going around. It is The Bridges of Madison County at the Signature Theater and has a, a cast of some, at least a handful of, of fairly well-known folks, especially Aaron Davey as Francesca. What did you think of this Bridges out in the nation's capital? It was a very strong production of a show that um, many people were quite surprised and disappointed and perplexed when it flopped quite quickly on Broadway uh, with a cast headed by Kelly O'Hara and Stephen Pasquale, um, who were both quite phenomenal in it. Uh, book by Marcia Norman, music and lyrics by Jason Robert Brown, based on the novel by Robert James Waller. Um and uh, the score, first of all, I, I think is really, really superb. It's some of Jason Robert Brown's best work um, in adapting this story, which uh, I, I'm, when the movie came out with Meryl Streep and Clint Eastwood some years ago, and, and before that, uh, you know, it was based on a book, um, some people dismissed the whole thing as just um, some very melodramatic romance story, like something you would read in a you know a, one of those old uh, romance novels, uh, a story of a uh, Iowa housewife, uh, but uh, born and raised in Italy, uh, and then she married a uh, an American serviceman during the war, World War II, and then he brought her home, uh, and they settled in Iowa and raised started to raise a family. Now they have two children, and then one day uh, the rest of the family goes off to the state fair, and Francesca stays home, and it just so happens that this photographer for National Geographic. Um, shows up uh, to take photos of the bridges of Madison County. And he's having trouble finding one of them. So Francesca uh, directs him to it. And you can tell that there's an immediate, very, very strong attraction between the two of them, which only grows as they spend more and more time together. Um, the photographer's name, by the way, is Robert Kincaid. And he is played in this production by Mark, Evan, Mark Evans. Um, so uh, then, then the question is, uh, there's this really passionate affair over the next four days. And the question is whether um, Francesca is going to leave her family to go off with this photographer uh, and spend the rest of her life with him, hopefully. Uh, but um, uh, so you can understand why some people would dismiss it. But I, I think that really, uh, first of all, I think it's well written 
originally by Robert James Waller. And although I am not a huge Marsha Norman fan, I think she did a wonderful job overall in adapting this uh, to the musical stage with Jason Robert Brown. So uh, I uh, was one of the people who couldn't quite understand why the Broadway production flopped so quickly. Uh, and I urge everyone who has not seen a production of it to do so if you have the opportunity. And this would be an excellent one to start with if you're anywhere in the D.C. area or would like to make the trip. Um, uh, and this production just opened. So you have plenty of time uh, to to see it. It, it. They have fairly long runs down there. Uh, directed by Ethan Hurd, by the way. Erin um, Davy was just wonderful as Francesca. Like um, Kaylee O'Hara and Kate Baldwin, who I also saw, saw do the role in another production um, a couple of years ago. Uh, she does not look especially Italian, uh, but I think uh, for what it's worth, I, I think she looks a little bit more so than the other two who who both to me look quite uh, specifically Irish or, or even maybe like British. Um, she is fair. Uh, she does. And she does not wear a dark wig in this production. It's it's a, a I would say, a, a medium blonde hair. But um, she's also a very, very beautiful woman. And all the more so in this production because of the way um, she wears her hair and, and the way she's costumed. Um, and I think that's an important part of the story uh, because you do have to feel the the intense um, romantic and sexual attraction between these two. Uh, and uh, the good looking part also certainly applies to Mark Evans uh, as Robert Kincaid. I had only previously seen him as the leprechaun in uh, yeah. one of the Irish reps productions of Finian's Rainbow. Uh, needless to say, this role is very, very different. Um, uh, Mark Evans is a Brit, uh, but first of all, you would never, never know it from this. He does a flawless American accent, and he's um, grown some scruff on his face to make him, I guess, look a little bit more, a little older, because um, he's pretty young and um, and a little more maybe traditionally macho. Um, so all of that works beautifully, and both he and Aaron sing like angels. <laughs> um, and they have a lot to sing in this show. The rest of the cast was also overall excellent. Uh, nobody else has that much to do, but they keep um, popping into, um, you know, to give context to this story. There's the, the three family members, the husband and the two children. And then there were uh, two neighbors, uh, specifically one neighbor, Marge, who um, sort of kind of eventually figures out what's going on. But she's um, she's very good about it. She doesn't gossip about it. She kind of keeps the secret. And she was very well played by Rayanne Gonzalez uh, in a much more, um, I guess, ebullient uh, uh, and up uh, kind of happy, uh, energetic performance than I've seen in that role before. Um, the two uh, playing the 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 children, Nolan Montgomery and. Uh, uh, excuse me, and Julia Wheeler Lennon. They were both obviously very talented, but I think they made the mistake of um, overplaying the the fact that these were supposed to be uh, young people in the first scenes. In fact, my uh, 
the friend who I went with, who had never seen a production of this show before, asked, said, how old are they supposed to be at the beginning? Uh, because the show does uh, eventually cover, well, several decades. Um, and I said, well, the, the boy says that he's supposed to be 16. And I think with the, with the girl is maybe like one or two years younger. And he said, oh, because they were coming across like eight-year-olds in the beginning. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I, I you know, I kind of have to agree with you. Uh, I'm surprised they made that choice and I, I guess the director didn't help them with that um the this nolan montgomery fellow looks like he's about six four uh so maybe that's why he did that uh to give some semblance of, of being a, a you know a, a younger person but anyway um they uh they might have address those issues a little a little bit more with the director um still a wonderful wonderful production overall very well staged um at the uh, signature theater in this case it was uh, the audience was on two sides of the action uh it was not a uh, three-quarter thrust setup uh the audience sat in two sections opposite each other and the, the action took place in the beginning and at one end of the um of the uh, rectangle was the kitchen, the, which is the basic set for the show. And at the other end, there was a, an area that was used for several different locations. Um, really, really, really strong production. Another example of um, how uh, a show can close very quickly on Broadway and then very gratifyingly have a life elsewhere. I, I do not think you will be disappointed if you see this production. I was mystified as well that there wasn't more interest in the mm. show when it played Broadway. Mystified, given the pedigree of the, the best-selling book and the what much acclaimed movie, I would think that there were enough fans who'd say, oh, I want to see the third jewel of the Triple Crown. And it's also not- two two you know fairly large theater stars in, in the yeah. league. And Stephen Pasquale, by that point, was already known from... Uh, what was the name of the TV show? Oh yeah, uh, 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 Rescue were, Me. Yeah, yes, Res- Rescue Me, right? Rescue Me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Kelly, of course, had already done much of her great work. So yeah, that was a head scratcher. I remember at the f- I attended the final performance of that one, ah. and um, and at one point, and there were there were curtain speeches, and uh, and Kelly pretty much almost came out and said that nobody here understands why this show is uh-huh. closing. You know, uh-huh. it must have been a very, very painful and disappointing thing for them. Mm-hmm. As you said, Michael, this one does have a fairly long run. It is playing through September 17th. So, of course, we'll have information on how you can get tickets to see that one in the show notes. Peter, let's head back up to New York. And I just love the title of this next one that you saw, Lighthouse, colon, an immersive drinking musical. So how much did you have to drink and what was your drink of choice, Peter? Uh, I've never liked any liquor. I've never liked the taste of it whatsoever. So I um, certainly said to the waitress, um, no, I won't be having anything at all. Um, the story is uh, is not a unique one, to say the least. Um, it was written by Jackie Thrapp, who uh, has given herself a nice role in the show. But uh, the story is about uh, a bar that um, called the Lighthouse, uh, which uh, Cat Cully is her name, um, has worked very hard to make a success and 
um, so it deals with the people who come in, uh, the regulars and their lives to a certain degree. But of course, the place is threatened. Um, the owner wants to sell the building and all the that um, Kat has worked for. She's an immigrant. She, uh, her father had a, a similar business uh, in, in Ireland. And well, here she is and she doesn't know what to do. So um, uh, will there be a happy ending? Well, I'll leave that to uh, you when you see the show. What makes the show extraordinary? A woman named Sid Parker, who plays Cat Cully. My favorite type of acting. It does not seem like acting at all. Hmm. She is extraordinary at being natural. There is not one phony moment during the 70 intermissionless minutes. And this is the reason to go see um, Lighthouse and Immersive Drinking Musical. I will also say that the music is terrific. Um, the lyrics didn't uh, do it for me because indeed um here we go you know what i'm going to say uh the rhymes were certainly far mm -hmm. from perfect um it does say um additional material by billy Reese. um that's r-e-c-c-e who was a young man who i really think is tremendously talented and um i have seen his work previously and um so i'm gonna guess that um any additional material by him um did not involve uh false rhymes or um incorrect accents so um because he's he's very very good but the music is is quite appealing and um again let me also mention that uh, we're talking about chairs here that are not terribly comfortable but again it's only 70 minutes that's a, a fraction of what uncle vanya is so um and I, I do think that um, <laughs> that uh, some of the song titles are uh, are, are rather uh, fetching. Uh, Love starts with a pint, not to be confused with half a pint left, which I, I really like. So, uh, and the lighthouse, the title song, uh, is rather good too. So. Uh, it, it's downstairs at the Soho Playhouse, so you're not sitting in theater seats. You are sitting on chairs. And um, I have a feeling that Sid Parker is going to amount to something as the years go on because um, her natural way of performing uh, just hit the spot with me much more than my spot would have been hit if indeed I had some of the little tiny shots that they pour <laughs> for the people who do want to have liquor. <laughs> Very good. Very good. All right, Michael, let's head back to D.C. You saw another show that I think, I mean, had a better run than Bridges of Madison County, but I think a lot of people had hoped had run even longer in New York. And this was Studio Theater's production of Fun Home. Yes, it, it uh, the Broadway production was considerably more successful um, than Bridges in Madison County. Also won several awards, including the Tony for Best Musical which I'm sure is why it ran it lo as long as it did at Circle in the Square, because um, uh, I, I guess you would call it a, a niche musical. That's one word for it. And just, uh, I mean, it's uh, uh, the subject matter is um, not for everyone and, and quite, quite dark in uh, in several respects. It's this is based on the graphic memoir by Alison Bechtel. Uh, a cartoonist uh, about how her her upbringing um and the title uh, as i'm sure most of our listeners know by now uh refers to the fact that her among other things her father bruce ran a funeral home and um uh this refers to the fact of the the uh you know i guess the uh the the the, the last half of the first word um 
being uh, somehow missing. Uh, so instead of funeral home, you've got fun home. And the irony there is that this is a very, very dysfunctional family because aside from everything else, Bruce uh, Bechtel is, um, well, we're supposed to think he's a closeted homosexual or I suppose bisexual. And uh, because of that, he's acting out um, and frequently with much younger males and in one case, uh, an underage male, which results in a lot of problems, as you might imagine. Um, this was a really, really great production at Studio Theater, where I have not been in quite some years, and for no good reason. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's a, um, a, a very intimate, I, I think they have more than one um, yeah, they do. Yeah. Space in, in the cl complex. But this was, uh, I believe, the largest one, but still, you know, nice and intimate. And that was one of the um, one of the major pluses here, um, because it's a show that I think demands intimacy. Uh, I also was lucky enough to attend. Um, we had an extremely enthusiastic audience. The show, uh, this run is ending um, on the 27th of August. It has been running for a while. I, I was not able to get down uh, there till now, uh, and they were nice enough to let me in, and I'm so glad they did. Uh, it seemed like there were um, maybe understudies and, and a lot of friends of the cast in attendance at this particular performance uh, because the reception was was um much more enthusiastic than a than a than a typical normal audience would be and that really helped a, a whole lot um uh also we saw um a, a standby or understudy in the role of medium allison mm -hmm. which is arguably the lead uh but not well, uh, yeah, I mean, arguably, we have Medium Allison. Um, we have uh, uh, just she's just called Allison, which is uh, we see Allison Bechtel in the present day, uh, kind of flashing back on the story. And she was played by Andrea Prestinario. And I have to mention this incredibly talented, charming, adorable young girl who played small allison quinn titcom t-i-t-c-o-m-b um she was superb she was any everything you could want in that role um and i think the audience really adored her i, I know i did and, and so did my friend by the way um uh my friend had also never seen this show and never even heard of it and knew absolutely nothing about it. He went in totally cold. And afterwards he said to me, well, that was really, really great. And I, and I really loved it even more than the bridges of Madison County. Um, mm. So this show has a new uh, fan music by Janine to sorry again, um, like Jason Robert Brown with, Bridges, I would say some of her very best work, uh, book and lyrics by Lisa Krohn, K-R-O-N, someone who not known for writing lyrics, but they're really, really good. And um, this production was directed, very, very well directed by David Muse. Um, so I um, was happy to see it again. It's the only other production of Fun Home that I have seen other than the original uh at circle in the square um and 
uh, I imagine it's not done as often uh, as some other shows. The fact that um, that the lead, one of the leads, is a very young girl, and that it's quite a large role, um, is only one reason why uh, I'm sure it's it's uh, the people might think twice about picking this particular show for production. But it really is a wonderful musical, um, very very moving in the end. And uh, and very entertaining and and compelling all the way through. Um, so I, I I loved having the opportunity of seeing it again, and especially in such a perfect production. Michael, my only question is, how hmm. do you have friends that don't know what Fun Home is and have never heard of Fun Home? <laughs> I have to admit that occurred to me too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I have a fr- a friend who lives in D.C. and he uh, I mean he's not cultural literate he's he's mostly he's largely into um classical music it's main thing i would say uh and he sees quite a bit of theater but uh, it, it's uh, uh classical music and movies um okay. are okay. two of his uh, two of his major things he's yeah. not a, a he's not a new york theater nerd queen uh whatever word you want to use. Uh, <laughs> and, and obviously not a listener to this week on Broadway, because I'm sure he would have heard discussion of the show. Peter, we're going to end the last review here is a show that I will admit I've never heard of. In fact, I've only barely heard of the venue that it was at, although I know it's like a sub venue of Soho Rep. But you saw something called Babyfoot, which, to be quite honest with you, I'm having trouble even finding information of online. Oh, really? Um, uh, yes, I will admit that 46 Walker Street is not the um, epicenter of the theater world. But nevertheless, um, <laughs> uh, they they have done a lot of shows there. I, I've seen shows there um, for, wow, well over 30 years, I'm sure. So what's this story about? Okay, we're in a rehab center. And... Um, there we are meeting a young woman who uh, is getting out after her 90 days. She's, if not cured, at least in better shape than she was when she walked in three months ago. And who comes in but a guy who's starting his th- his 90 days, his three months. And um, she doesn't want to talk to him. I mean, uh, the, getting involved even in a conversation is something that she, with a, with an addict, oh, please, you know, uh, this is my past. I want to get going. I want to start my new life. I'm going to move to New York. I'm going to live with a friend. It's going to be much better than the situation I have. I used to play with a band, and there I was being highfalutin when we got an offer from Columbia Records. And I said, no, they want to change us. And she dropped out. And and um, has great regrets about it. And perhaps, doesn't quite say this, but perhaps that's what turned her to drugs. So anyway, that's that's her story. His story um, is substantially uh, different. Um, he's, he started getting on drugs, maybe after having a wife and kid, who knows. But um, uh, he, he's a manager of a fast food joint. And um, he... he we get the impression he thought he likes his job and uh, but nevertheless drugs came into his life and so uh, that becomes a problem it, it uh, i think it's a very good character study and i think tim venable the uh, playwright knows what he's talking about i'm not saying he's an addict 
believe me. I'm just saying that um, he knows what he's talking about. It's entirely possible that he's worked with these people. And uh, because there are so many ups and downs and ups and downs during this 90-minute play um, between them. One moment they, they like each other. One moment they hate each other. One moment they're attracted to each other. One moment they're repulsed by each other, so on and so forth. It's a real roller coaster ride. And none of that, to me, was unconvincing. However, what is unconvincing to me is the fact that he has brought um, a little packet of drugs into the place, uh, which he's hidden in his pack of cigarettes. Now, I would think that there would be a great deal of scrutiny when a guy is admitted into a program like this, that they would check everything that he has with him to make sure that he doesn't have any uh, contraband with him. And, you know, I mean, really, um, wouldn't they check the pack of cigarettes? All right. But that's where he has his drugs. I mean, it's a tiny packet. Tiny, tiny. You see these, um, at least in New York, on the streets all the time, these uh, maybe one inch by one inch square things. Um, and when he goes off, to, when he leaves at one point, he just leaves that packet of cigarettes there. He never, ever comes back in a hurry and says, oh, my God, where are my cigarettes? Meaning, where's my drugs? I mean, I, never. Um, through the entire play, I, I would say that the, at the halfway mark, he leaves it, um, the pack of cigarettes there and um, is never concerned about the fact, oh, my God, you know, I, I, I got to get that back. I mean, if they find it, I'm, I'm really in trouble. No, that doesn't happen at all. Well, far more happens than just that, which I'm not going to give away. But um, I do feel that that was um, very, very uh, contrived and not at all believable. Um, but aside from that, I have to say the dialogue is pungent. And we do have two excellent, excellent performance by an actress named Hope Lauren and an actor named Daniel Dorr, that's D-O-R-R, and um, terrific. Uh, I, I, I'm a little con interested why um, Tim Venable named his character uh, Blackie. Uh, he never tells us what his real name is. I dare say that's not the name he was given at birth. Um, is this a metaphor for the fact that um, there's a lot of blackness in him? I don't know. He's very vulnerable. I'm, I'm telling you, these people have to play so many emotions, and they do each one very believably. But again, that cigarette pack um, drove me crazy. <laughs> so, so that's uh, my take on um, Baby Foot. Peter, when you look at a show like this, and you have the vast majority of elements that really work for you, and there is. I don't know that I would actually say this is something small because that seems like a fairly sizable plot leap, not a plot hole, but it's asking you to take a leap. How would you say that that impacts your overall appreciation for it? Does it is it something that you're able to compartmentalize and say, OK, this was a little thing that I didn't think actually made sense. I can put it to the side. Or does it tend to color your overall reception of the piece as a whole? Yes, it does. Um, since I uh, saw my very first show, uh, I have kept a record of um, each show that I've seen. I write it down in a book. Um, <laughs> the book is now two volumes because <laughs> New York and then elsewhere. Um, and I give everything a rating from zero to four. And um, this turned out to be two and a half. And that's that's 
pretty much common uh, to see two and a half. And I dare say, if you look at any of Leonard Bolton's books, when he used to um, publish books on what he felt or what his uh, contributors felt about movies, most of them are two and a half stars out of four. And this is, uh, if if it weren't for that, I think this would have been at least a three, not a three minus, but a three. Uh, so yes, it's, of course it does. Now you said a three minus, so it's not out of four. Do you actually do minuses and pluses? So that would actually oh, probably yeah. put it closer to like, eight or ten i mean really if we're if you're okay sure sure michael what about you or do do you feel the same way are you able to compartmentalize those little digressions from from perfection or, or does it does it kind of color your entire appreciation of something the latter yeah yeah i i yeah i tend to be very bothered by that interestingly though um uh there have been occasions where uh I've been bothered by something and it has not bothered Peter at all and vice versa. Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, so, yeah. so it's worth mentioning that. Yeah. That's interesting. I, th- I hadn't, I don't know that I've ever really thought about it, but I think in recent years I've been less bothered by those things than I was in the past. And I don't know if that is some reaction to the world around me or maybe coming, I think it actually predated the pandemic. So I don't think it was that, but I do, I feel like yeah. I used to, I used to be a little nitpicky about things like that, that bugged me and they would just get in my crawl and I couldn't let them go. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I don't know if that's, that's changed from, or why that's changed for me over the years, but it is, but it is interesting. I could probably date it back to maybe the first week of November of 2016 for, if I'm just randomly picking a date out of nowhere that probably <laughs> has nothing to do with it. Um, but maybe my, uh, my reception of entertainment ha- has changed since then, but well, ironically enough, um, I, I haven't forgotten something I heard back in the 90s when I was doing a travel story in Jamaica. I don't mean the musical with Lena Horne, I mean the country. <laughs> and um, and um, I was talking to another travel writer, and he was saying, well, I know I'm nitpicking, but there are nits to pick. And I think sure. that's uh, a good way of putting it. Uh, yeah, we mentioned the things that bother us, and um, if indeed they come across as nitpicking to other people that's perfectly fine but uh we respond right. to what we exactly. respond to yeah yeah well the 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 example i can think of right offhand and there are have been many but for me is dear evan hansen as i've said i just wish they had come up with another title of that show because it just it makes absolutely no sense to me uh because we're supposed to think that everyone thinks this letter that Evan Hansen received was written by the boy who killed himself. But first of all, I don't think that a modern day teenage boy would address another, a letter to someone else with deer at the beginning of it. I think that's from, like, from the 1950s. And secondly, no one who, who has ever written to any friend <laughs> has ever addressed them by their full name. Uh, so that this seems to bother me tremendously and no one else in the world, (laughs) but it it doesn't change my opinion. (laughs) Well, we, we do have some news and some unfortunately sad news to talk about. We learned Mm. over the weekend that Emmy winner and drama desk winner and Tony nominee Ron Cephas Jones died on Saturday at the age of 66 following what was described as a long-standing pulmonary issue. He was a stalwart of the off-Broadway community uh, from dating back to the beginning of the 21st century uh, and probably even before that. He appeared as Richard III in a public theater production that was one of its mobile, one of its first mobile Shakespeare units. He did actually four different shows written by Stephen Adley Gerges, both on Broadway and off-Broadway. Mm. 
Ron's final Broadway credit was in his Tony-nominated turn in Lynn Nottage's Clyde's, uh, which happened at the end of 2021 and into 2022. Of course, he is he was the father of Jasmine Cephas Jones, who originated the roles of Peggy Schuyler and Mariah Reynolds in the original cast of Hamilton. That pair actually made history in 2020 when they became the first uh, father and daughter duo to ever win Emmy Awards in the same year. Um, uh, Jasmine's was for the Outstanding Actress in a Short-Form Comedy or Drama Series for a show called Free Ray Sean. And Ron's was for a guest starring appearance, which he was a regular guest star on the show This Is Us. Uh, I'm sure throughout both of your careers you have seen Ron in in various shows. Do do either of you have any specific recollections about him, either on stage or off stage, that you think are especially poignant to share the day after his passing? I looked up and um, only four Broadway credits is interesting. Stand mm-hmm. by in Gem of the Ocean, Understudy in The Motherfucker with the Hat, um, and then Clyde's, as you mentioned, was his last credit. But you know what he was really great in was this. 2014 of Mice and Men uh, on Broadway, with, in which he played Crooks. Um, that's the that was the one with James Franco. Uh, that that was really great, um, and uh, I I remember him specifically in that show as well as in Clyde's. Uh, he he was terrific in both of them. Um, I I uh, met him at an Emmy um, ceremony and. Um, he was uh, uh, I, I, he won for that um, This Is Us as I recall I, I was yes. talking to him before the ceremony so it wasn't a case that um, he knew or I knew that he had won but but it was so interesting to me that he said to me yeah um, of course I do TV because um, it's, it's something that pays well yes 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 but um, really I only feel alive when I'm on stage and I, I really want to get back to stage because the idea of not appearing on stage to me would be death. And wow. I mean, that's when I thought of um, so powerfully when uh, indeed I heard about this. 66, so young. Yeah, he, yeah. he was nominated for four Emmy Awards for This Is Us, winning two of them. I, I first see. saw him in a uh, a different TV show called Mr. Robot, where he had a pretty large role in the first season of that show but it, like you said he he did a lot of tv appeared in a number of films and but always felt like his heart clearly was still in the theater so uh, our thoughts go out to everybody who loved him obviously his daughter his daughter jasmine and the rest of their family he has if you've been on social media at all since his passing i know wendell pierce talked about what a, a great person he was, what a what a, a great performer, what a great friend, and, and many other people who have worked with him are sharing similar thoughts. So uh wouldn't be a bad time to to tune into some This Is Us or if you I think there are still they did the the live stream version of Clyde's, I'm sure you oh, could probably right, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm I'm sure if you look hard enough on the internet you could probably find a version of that uh somewhere online. So certainly would be a great day to revisit some Ron Cephas Jones. Uh, performances. And although we have very little information, uh, we should probably also mention that very, very sadly, Chris Peluso Mm -hmm. uh, has died at age 40, um, uh, known mostly for his work. Uh, He was very, very much prized as a 
as an understudy or a standby. Uh, but then he actually did a lot of work in uh, England um, more more as a you know as a leading person, and he uh, very again very very sadly suffered from mental illness, and uh, that's about all the information we have other than that he died uh, at age 40 just a few days ago. So yeah. again, our hearts go out to his family as well. Yeah, we we discussed this earlier in the week on Today on Broadway. He, like you said, was a much sought after understudy and standby uh First in the or in the uh, 2004 revival cast of Assassins on Broadway, then in Lestat and in Beautiful on Broadway, he also played Sky and Mamma Mia, and and did multiple tours uh, of of Wicked, uh, understudying and then playing Fiero. But as you mentioned, when he went over to London, had leading roles in The Woman in White, Death Takes a Holiday, and Showboat, and uh, was in the revival of Miss Saigon and played Chris opposite Eva Noblezada before mm. that uh, production toured to Broadway. He also played uh, Nikki Arnstein opposite Sheridan Smith in the UK tour of Funny Girls. So uh, I definitely want to send our thoughts out to his family. And again, like Ron Cephas Jones, many of his former colleagues and co-workers and co-stars expressing sadness over his passing as well. Yes. Let's change a, a little bit of, of topic here. Peter, you noticed that one of Broadway and theater's longstanding websites and message boards, Talking Broadway, has been going through some issues, and you did a little bit of investigative reporting on this uh, to figure out what's at the heart of the the service interruption over at TalkingBroadway.com. Yes, I did get in touch with the powers that be at Talking Broadway all that chat and said, um, uh, listen, they're asking me for a username and password. I mean, I, I, I never did this. Uh, I never signed up. I mean, there isn't even an option to sign up. What's going on? And as it turns out, they're going through a major overhaul. I did get an answer on this. This is the official answer. They're going through a major overhaul and it will be back at some point. I will say it's taken a long time. It's been virtually this whole week that it's been down. And I did even check this morning. Now, by the time I've, uh, we've done this podcast, they may be back. But don't be surprised if you uh, click on um, Talking Broadway, all that chat. You don't get anything beyond give us your username and password. Um, uh, some of... Uh, uh, the people who, who read what I do um, have gotten in touch with me and say, are you having trouble with all that chat? And yes, um, I have. And so if you've had trouble, don't think it's you or that you're missing something uh, mm -hmm. with your username and password, no matter what you're going to put in there, whatever you think your username and password is, it's not going to work. So that's uh, so let's all be patient and hope it comes back soon. Cause um, I, I love that website. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, even though I am not Porto Pete as some people think I am. <laughs> Or husky <laughs> Italian? Uh, no, <laughs> I can't imagine anybody one. would ever say that about you, Peter. Imagine, yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> Ann Miner, who runs the site, apparently said that um, uh, it happened uh, so quickly or unexpectedly that they weren't able to let people know. Uh, which yeah, right, that's unfortunate right. because all of this. Um, confusion could have been eliminated if they had just sure. had uh you know been yeah. able to put up a notice on the site but anyway hopefully they'll be back soon yeah and one more thing before we start to wrap up the show is uh, probably a lot of people have seen this 
uh, Meryl Streep, with a little help from uh, Tony nominee Ashley Park, sang a song called Look for the Light on the latest episode of Only Murders in the Building. The And this is the third season of that show, which airs on Hulu. The whole season is centered around a Broadway production, has a ton of theater guest stars uh, in this season. The song was actually written by not only Sarah Bareilles, but... Michael, you just mentioned Dear Evan Hansen. It was written by Sarah Bareilles and Bench Pasek and Justin Paul. So uh, a really great, uh, a great number, a very tuneful, uh, a really tuneful song. Um, I, did you have anything you wanted to mention about this one here, Michael? I know you sent it over to me. Only that it's quite fantastic and it, yeah. it makes one weep uh, that Meryl Streep didn't do more musicals throughout her career. You know, I mean, it's hard to be disappointed in Meryl Streep's career, uh, but yeah. um, but you know, uh, no one can do everything, and and I wish she had done more of that. Does anyone even remember how close she came to starring in the movie of Evita? Yeah, I do recall that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I kind of think that that would have been a wonderful thing and probably better than what we wound up getting. Um, so uh, you, you and Patty Lapone probably think so as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that's one thing that Patty and I agree on. Yeah. <laughs> well, although. Patty would have. Yes, she know. would have. Yes, <laughs> Meryl wouldn't have been her first choice either, but uh, still probably better than Madonna. Um, it, you know, it is crazy that Meryl Streep, uh, obviously considered one of the great actors of her or any time. Not by Donald Trump. Well, no, he said she's overrated. Go on. Oh, that's uh, right. <laughs> oh, Go on. Um, <laughs> next week's guest host. Anyway, um, she does, of course, has a have a Tony nomination, but she hasn't been on a Broadway stage since 1977, which is kind of crazy that while we've seen so many movie stars and big name A-list movie stars come and do theater. She has, what, five Broadway credits, but hasn't been on stage in four and a half, you know, decades, which or hasn't been on it on broad on a Broadway stage Probably, yeah, in four and a half does. decades. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the yeah. good thing is, uh, yeah, she did the two shows at the Delacorte, uh, which I guess fits in well with um, filming schedules because their sure. their runs are so short. Yeah. Uh, and that was yeah, she, could, she could do a limited engagement on Broadway, too. <laughs> well, that's true, but but yeah. more more difficult to arrange that in a way that's going to you not. Know, that that's going to pay back the money, right? I mean, the the whole the whole setup of the shows in the Delacorte is completely different. Sure, I'll grant yeah. you that. But I mean, for example, Tom Hanks came for a while and um, did that Lucky Guy show. Is that what it was called? Yeah. And, uh, I imagine it paid back. You know, I I imagine uh, that's the best I can do. But um, that's a star of great magnitude as well. And right, uh, true. So anyway, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Well, there, I mean, there are a couple strikes going on. I mean, it's not like she's filming anything. I mean, I'm sure there's right, a, a Broadway right. producer that would love to get her in something. Although what I last heard was is that as much as people want to do theater during these strikes, because 
everything is so up in the air, they just don't know when the strikes will end. It's very hard for them to even schedule anything because they are still contracted for films. And whenever the strikes end, they will presumably right. start to ramp back up. So it's, it's even more difficult to try to plan things in the interim. But sure. we will have to wait and see. I believe she had also said um, at one point that she was planning to do more theater uh, once her children were, you know, fully grown and out in the world and which, which has, has you know, happened quite, quite a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. In fact, all three of her daughters and her son just did a, or getting to him. They might've already done it. A a reading of Anton Chekhov's three sisters at, I want to say, either Williamstown or Barrington. Uh, they did it together, the, the Gummer sisters. So it's, it's, it's time, Meryl. Uh, just, I know she's a, re- <laughs> she's a regular listener. I am sure she is 54 right. minutes mm-hmm. into this episode. It is, it is time for us all to, uh, to demand she comes back onto the stage. But um, Peter, I, I don't know what your trivia question is for this week. Maybe it is Meryl Streep related, but um, before we get into that, what, why don't you go through last week's question and let us know the answer to that one. You're casting a production of Follies after many have auditioned for Buddy and have been found wanting. Finally, an actor comes in and is terrific. When expressing your excitement to your colleagues, you might quote two lines from a song in One Touch of Venus. One is the title, What's the Other? In That's Him, Venus sings that an ideal man is one who's like a plumber when you need a plumber. (laughs) You might say that you found the right buddy plumber, and never mind that his name and the man who fixes your sink aren't spelled the same. It's the sound that counts here. <laughs> Steve Bell was the first to get it, followed by Tony Janicki, Juliet Green, Paul Witte, Jeff Hickman, Mike Meany, Brigadude, Arthur Robinson, Sean Logan, Dead Popple, Isaac Blevins, and Robert Lobiondo. By the way, it's a question that drove Josh Israel crazy, and um, <laughs> I'm sure he's smacking his head right now. Um, and uh, But maybe he'll get this one. When a musical was first released on CD almost 25 years after its Broadway premiere, the liner notes included this sentence. To hear the show in its musical entirety, program track four to repeat after tracks five, six, mm. 10, and 23. What was the musical and what was so special about track four that it should re- be repeated four times? Michael, not that I want you to answer, but like you had a you had an audible reaction. Does that mean that you think you know the answer? Yes, I I'm pretty sure I do. And also, okay. Peter, wasn't I uh, kind of high on the list of uh, correct answers for? Well, what, you got you, you got. Well, first, I was first yeah. I was wrong. Uh, first, I just said that's him, right. which yeah, you, you you know is arguably yeah, sure, correct. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then only, I not more than more than arguably. I didn't realize that you um, got the second part. Yeah, yeah, and I wrote back to you, and you wrote back the attaboy. <laughs> really? Oh, then I apologize. I apologize. Oh, yeah. I demand Michael to be recognized. Absolute, absolute. Yeah. Attention I, must be paid. That's right. My apologies. My profuse apologies. I forgot that's that. That's okay. That's all okay. right. <laughs> Wonderful. That was a really fun question, by the way. Yeah. Um, Michael, let's get into your musical moments for, for this week, which normally when I know what these are, I can understand what the connection is, but I, I'm not exactly sure why you have chosen these. So I'm interested to hear the explanation. Oh, well, um, as it turned out, I might have picked something by Meryl Streep because we wound up discussing <laughs> her both in terms of the Bridges of Madison County and Only Murders in the Building. Uh, but no, I picked um, a 
piece from Forbidden Broadway. And the reason for that is that it's going to be back with us this week, if only briefly, um, on Wednesday and Thursday at Don't Tell Mama. Uh, they are mm -hmm. doing uh, three performances of Forbidden Sondheim, which is uh, a new incarnation of the show featuring a lot of the... Uh, previous material from Forbidden Broadway that was centered on Sondheim shows uh, with Sondheim as a character in, in this review, uh, this version of the review as well. And then also some new uh, songs that Gerard Alessandrini has written. So it's uh, Wednesday and Thursday at 7 p.m. Uh, at Don't Tell Mama on West 46th Street. And then an, another, they had to add another performance on Wednesday at 9.30 p.m., uh, because the demand for tickets was so great. So I think if you're, if you're going to get in, it'll most likely be on Wednesday at 930. Um, you can check uh, Don't Tell Mama. Uh, the cast includes Chris Collins-Pisano, Jenny Lee Stern, uh, Dana Jaray Dantzler, and Michael West with Fred Barton at the piano and special guest Christine Petty. Um, I, I did see a, a presentation of this at a rehearsal studio a few months ago, and I can guarantee it's a lot of fun. Um, so uh, uh, hopefully appropriately, our uh, music this week is uh, Into the Words, <laughs> uh, which is a, uh, a parody uh uh, obviously from Into the Woods that Gerard had written some time ago with Sondheim again as a character in it. And um, this is from a, a forbidden Broadway recording of several years ago. Uh, the opener is the first part of, the, of that number and the closer is the, uh, is the second part. So um, I hope you enjoy it. Wonderful. That is uh, great. And I envy anybody who gets to go to Don't Tell Mama this week to see that. All right, everybody, that is all that we have for you today. As always, Patreon listeners can be involved with This Week on Broadway and listen to us live as we are recording on Sundays. If you want to be a part of that, head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio. Thank you, everybody, for checking out the show. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of this week's episode. And uh, have a wonderful week, and we will see you at the theater soon. Bye. Bye. Into the words that fly and try to make you choke the joke you've sung. Into the words more letters than they sell on Wheel of Fortune. Very good. You all graduate. So now let's do it up to tempo. Ready? One, two, twelve, eight. Into the words that trip you live and fry your brain and spray your tongue. Into the words that kiss your back and back and bring a torch in. Into the words that fly and try to make you choke the joke you've sung. Into the words more letters than they sell on Wheel of Fortune. We. Into the syllables, into the antonyms, into the metaphors, into the synonyms. Therefore, your diction, therefore, your diction, therefore, your diction, therefore, the word.